joy to be preaching the word of God with you this morning. Our text is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. So if you have the copy of uh, the word of God with you, turn it to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who does hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. First John chapter 3, verses 1-3. to 3. Before we dig into the Word of God, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that the same Spirit who inspired this text to be written will help us understand its meaning and enable us to live as Christian, our Christian life according to it. May your name be glorified, our lives transformed and edified, and your people called unto repentance and faith through the preaching of your words. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. John Calvin, is, in his uh, book on systematic theology, the Institute of Christian Religion, begin with these words. Nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. True and sound wisdom begins and ends with knowing who God is and who we are in relation to God. This is what we want to see in the passage before us, who God is, specifically the love of God for His own, and who we are in God. That is, we are God's children. The early church fathers and traditions ascribes the authorship of this epistle to the Apostle John. The most convincing argument from the text itself is that the one who wrote this letter is an eyewitness to the incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. This epistle also has close similarities with words and styles with the gospel written by John the Beloved. As to whom this epistle was first written, it is also not clear from the text itself. There is no mention of any particular area where these believers live or whether it was addressed to any particular churches. However, we can be sure that the intended readers, based on the content of the letter itself, is that, number one, they were Christians. In First uh, John chapter 2, verse 19, we could read, uh, they, referring to those antichrists, those who deny the Lord Jesus, went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Here John made a clear distinction between those who believe his reader and those who denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the second, the recipient of the letters are well known to John and he to them. Throughout the whole epistle, he called them my little children at least five times and addressed them as beloved at least four times. We can feel the close relationship or fellowship between the writer and the reader. Thirdly, John cares so much about their faith as he addressed Paul's teachings that are arising in their midst 
throughout this letter. He shows deep pastoral concern to these believers, which gives us the idea that John personally shepherds them. So these personal concerns were evident in the reasons he mentioned as to why he wrote this letter. The major reasons why John wrote this letter is mentioned in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John is saying, I want you to have absolute assurance that you belong to Jesus and that you have eternal life. In John chapter, one, in John chapter 2, verse 1, he said, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. John wants to make it clear that though their salvation is secured in Jesus, that doesn't mean that we can do what we want and sin all we want since we, already, uh, we, since we are already saved. Though John writes this epistle, including the passage that we will look into this morning, that we may not sin. Now, in case you are tempted to think that living a Christian life is boring as we, as we are to take care so much of do's and don'ts, John said in 1 John 1, 4, and we write these things so that our joy may be complete. There is joy, so much joy in our walk with the Lord. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, as we look into our passage from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, we should check our hearts whether these reasons, the absolute assurance of salvation, purity of life, that is that we may not sin, and joy are producing us. If not, then we miss the point of the passage. So let's go back again to verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. John is calling believers to see, that is to look at it, observe it carefully, study it intently, the kind of love the Father has given us. We are instructed for the benefits of our soul to always consider the kind of love the Father has given us, the love by which we are called children of God. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 13 instructed the Christians in Ephesus to remember how they were once separated from Christ outside the covenant community, no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, them who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And Peter in his second epistle said, I think it's right, as long as I am in this body, to steer you up by way of reminder. Brothers and sisters, we are called to see to remember always what God the Father has done for us in Christ. That's why we must always read our Bible. We must always gather with the saints, sing to one another, encourage, and exhort one another daily. That's why we need to partake of the Lord's Supper, witness baptism, so we could always be reminded of so great salvation we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why would John suddenly call believers to be amazed at God's love? 
Can you feel the tone of the, of the apostle here? See. See what kind of love the Father has given us. Look at the previous text. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Here John speaks of those who has been born of God. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Then he said, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. It requires the kind of love the Father has given for one to be born of God and be able to practice righteousness. Then we ask, why is it so amazing for one to be able to walk in righteousness? Why is it so amazing for one to be called children of God? John, in the previous verses and even after, sets a clear distinction between those who walk in darkness and those who walk in the light, those who denies they are sinners and those who confesses their sins. We can read that in chapter 1, verses 6 to 10. Then in chapter 2, he speaks of those who don't keep the commandments of God and those who do, those who don't stay with Jesus and those who abide in him. The clear mark of those who abide in God, according to chapter 2, verse 6, is walking in the way that he walks. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Then in chapter 3, verse 9 to 10, he said, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John is saying, if ever you can walk in righteousness, it is only because you have been born of God. The distinction between children of God and the children of the devil is that the children of God are born of God. John knew very well that apart from God's supernatural work, man in his sinful nature, nature will not walk in righteousness. All men, including uh, all of us, uh, letting themselves will not walk in the light. He said in the gospel, in his gospel, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. No one, Jesus said, no one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Man does not have ability to come to God. No one can come to me. Again, the only reason, the only reason then why men could walk in righteousness or could practice righteousness is if they have been born of God, which according to John chapter 1, Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born according to the will of God. The Apostle Paul affirmed the same truth 
in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, when he speaks of the Ephesian, Ephesian believers' former life apart from Jesus, how they are spiritually dead, their inability to respond to God, their slavery to the word, the flesh, and the devil. When Paul speaks of how they, they in their sinful nature, live in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved them, even when they were dead in trespasses and sins, were made alive together with Jesus, how by grace they have been saved. This is the state of those who are lost, those who are outside of Jesus, sinners on their way hell and will not even care. That is why John says, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. Now what kind of love? What kind of love? Paul said in, in, in the passage that we just mentioned, great love. John in the gospel said, for God so loved the word that he gave his only son. So great the love of the father that he gave his only son. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 to 10, we read, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here the Apostle John defined for us what love means, what kind of love the Father has given us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. God the Father sending his Son to be the propitiation for our sins is the manifestation of his love. Notice three things about the love of God in this passage. Three things in this passage. Number one, God loved us first. Verse 10, that we, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Then in chapter 4, verse 19, he said, we love because he first loved us. God's love for us is not influenced by anything he sees in us. It is not based on any merits from us, for we have none. Not based on any condition. It was purely uninfluenced and un unconditional. God's love for us is not a response towards our love to, uh, for him. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 to 8, describes for us God's love for his people Israel. Moses said, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and choose you, for you were the purest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. God loves them because he loves them. Since God's love is uninfluenced and unconditional, it is freely given. It is sovereign. See what kind of love the Father has given us 
It is a gift. It is a free gift, a sovereign gift from God. It is a sovereign choice of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, the Apostle Paul speaks of how Christians are blessed with every spiritual blessings uh, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How God chose them even before the foundation of the world and how in love predestined them for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And based on what he did that? Based on what did God choose his elect? Is it according to their own merits or good works? No. The text told us, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Since God's love is an influence, unconditional and sovereign, that he set his love on his elect because it was his good pleasure to do so, not because of what they do or who they are, but despite of that, then there is nothing that can change his love for his people. God's love is immutable. God's love is eternal. John 13, 1, Jesus said, having, uh, John said, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jeremiah 31, verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. Number two, uh, God's love is gracious. It is good and kind. Again, in chapter 4, verse 10, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. God sent his son. Again, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. How is it gracious? Well, Paul in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, and chapter 3, verse 4, told us, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, these verses speaks of the grace of God, the goodness and loving kindness of God appearing. The word appeared signifies the incarnation. The eternal Son of God became flesh and dwells among us. It is through the incarnation of the Lord Jesus when God sent His Son that God's grace, loving kindness, and goodness were manifested. John in the Gospel confirmed this idea when he said in John chapter four, uh, John chapter one, verse 14, 16, and 17, that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What is grace? What is grace? We don't have enough time to unpack this God's perfection now. This quote from G.S. Bishop, I believe, will give us a glimpse of what grace is. He said, grace is a provision for men who are so fallen that they cannot leave the acts of justice, so corrupt that they cannot change their own natures, so averse to God that they cannot turn to Him, so blind that they cannot see, so deaf that they cannot hear, so dead that he himself must open their graves and lift them into resurrection. The hymn writer Charles Wesley knew how this grace works. He said, 
Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I walk the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. It is only because God is gracious. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is the kind of love the Father has given us. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, just die for me? Now, what is, it, what is meant by the goodness of God here? The same Greek word for goodness, Christotus, which literally means goodness of heart, is used in Luke chapter 6, verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and land, expecting nothing in return, and you, your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind, that is Christotus, uh, to the ungrateful and the evil. The verse speaks of God's kindness or goodness of heart even to the ungrateful and evil men like us. It is God's nature to be kind, to be patient, to the very ill-deserving and ungrateful sinners. The Greek word for loving kindness uh, in the text that we read in Titus chapter 3 is philanthropia, from which we get the word philanthropy. It literally means, literally means pity, compassion, eagerness to deliver from pain or distress because of strong affection. This loving kindness and expression of strong compassionate pity is demonstrated in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Remember how the prodigal son disrespected his father, take his inheritance, and squandered his property in reckless living. He does not care about his father at all. You know the story. He began to be in need and suffer hunger. Then he realizes he sinned against his father, decided to come back home, ask his father's forgiveness, and beg that he would be considered as one of his hired servant. Then in verse 15 of Luke chapter 15, we could read, and he arose and came to his father while he was still a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's the heart of God. He is willing to receive sinners. He is not hesitant and he is not distant. He runs and embraces and kisses repentant sinners because he cares so deeply because of his loving kindness. That is the kind of love the Father has, gracious, good, and kind. Again in chapter 4, verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Number three, God's love in this passage is holy. It must be because God is holy. God is light, says John 1 5, 1 John 1 5, as well as God is love in 1 John 4 8. God cannot simply put away sin. Men are guilty before God and are deserving of His wrath and judgment. 
God's holy love demands that sins must be punished. Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, keeping, the ste uh, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. The guilty must be punished, else God will not be just and good. God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's, that's God the Father's love for his own people. For those in love he has predestined for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, he sent his son to die on their behalf. Beloved, Jesus lived a perfect life, obedient to the Father even to the point of death. He died a painful and humiliating death on a Roman cross. He has been considered cursed by God, took upon himself the sins of all his people, absorbs the full wrath of God. He was despised, rejected, smitten, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, <clears throat> crushed for our iniquities, died on the behalf of sinners, was buried, and on the third day rose again from the dead, so that those who would repent of their sins and believe on Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. If you haven't experienced this love, this salvation, friends, you are being called by the Holy God to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, his son. You have no other hope but Jesus. Come now, repent of your sin, put your trust and hope in our only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you have experienced this so great love, so great salvation, if you are, you are being called to behold, see what kind of love the Father has given us. And as you behold, would you not rejoice and be comforted and be confident that, that, that nothing shall be able to separate you from the love of God? In Isaiah chapter 63, verses 7 to 8, the passage that Joseph read for us, the prophet said, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. Isaiah the prophet rests on the steadfast love and the great goodness of God, his father and savior. That is who God is. That is what God, that is the kind of love that God has given us. Now we will look into who we are in relation to this God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Then verse 2, we are God's children now. This is who we are. Because of the love of God, we are called children of God. Our identity as children of God must affect how we live. The text told us in verse 1, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. 
Our lives as children of God should be so obvious and so distinct from the world, so much so that the world would not know us as he did not know the Lord Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, Peter said that since those who are in Christ no longer live as those outside of Christ does, they are being maligned. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same blood of debauchery and they malign you. John, in this epistle, has given us the marks or evidence that we have been born of God, that we are the children of God. He also gave us the privilege and hope of being children of God. As children of God, we ought to be loving God and our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We ought to be loving God and our brothers and sisters in the Lord. First John chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever been who has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. In this text, loving God means obeying His commands joyfully. His commandments are not burdensome to those who love God. Service to God and others may be difficult, uncomfortable, and even painful. Yet because of their love for God, they can bear it joyfully. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has shown us how kingdom citizens would live. And the basis of our Christian walk should be understood in terms of us being the children of God. Our behavior or actions must be dictated with a desire to imitate, glorify, and please God as our Father. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, uh, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, 44 and 48, But I say, but I say to you, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends on the just and on the unjust. Our motivations for doing good is that we would give glory to God, and that we would uh, please our, our Father who is in heaven. In chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus said that our motivations for giving, fasting, prayer, hence all of our act of reverence and devotion must be that of pleasing our Father in heaven who sees in secret. Our prayers and our lives must desire that our Father's name would be hallowed. In this life, we would have worries and trials of various kinds. We would struggle with life's difficulties and pains. Yet we are God's children. 
God is our Father. Jesus made that clear also in the Sermon on the Mount. We can pray. We can expect God to give us good things. We can trust God our Father for all our needs. He knows. He cares. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, we could read, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We can always approach our heavenly Father. We can always cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit has been given to us that we could call him our Father. Matthew 7 to, 7 to 11, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, find. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Isn't it so comforting to have a Father in heaven? If he spared not his own son and gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him also graciously give us all things? We are commanded not to worry. We are commanded to trust our Father. All of these are commands given by Jesus for the children of God to obey. These are commands that we would joyfully obey because we love God. Loving God means loving those who have been born of God which is another evidence that we are God's children. Loving others is very practical. In John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, we could read, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the worst good, goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I praise and thank the Lord that in more than eight years that I have been in this church, I have seen so many instances in the life of our congregation that we have shown our love for one another. As we care for those who are sick among us, as we prepare meals for them, take, takes care of them in the hospital, as we help those who are shifting houses, we have experienced that several times. In eight years, I don't remember how many times we shifted. Uh, as we help those who are shifting houses, as we help those who get married and are getting married, and so many other labor of love that we have shown. As we share burdens with one another, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. As we confront and try to restore those who are sinning, no matter how comfort uncomfortable that may be. I have seen how many of you have gone out of their way and sacrificed their time, talents, and money for the sake of others. All these are marks of a life changed 
by the love of God. My prayer and my heart's desire is that we grow even more in loving one another for the sake of Jesus. Another evidence of being children of God is a life of purity. Because of the hope we have as children of God, verse 3 of our text, John, First John 3, 3, and everyone who does hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Our hope is that when Jesus appears in his second coming, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. There will come a time when all our struggle with, with sin and all its effects will end. I have said it before, and I'll say it again. There was never any experience. There was never any experience of joy, of great joy in this life that is not tainted with sin. Think of every joyous occasions that you have. Graduation maybe, or marriage, or giving birth seeing for the first time that precious little one, whatever it is that you, that you shout for joy or that you got so excited and thrilled, all of that in this life are tainted with sin. We never had any experience of great joy where sin is not present. But when we see Jesus face to face, that day for the first time in our lives, we would experience such a great joy without the presence of sin. That, beloved, is our hope. Since we are looking forward to that day, let us all live in purity and godliness. Now, 1 John 3, again, 1 John 3, 9 and 10, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. We should be seriously killing sin before it kills us, John Owen says. Do whatever it takes to avoid sin. Be willing to be discipled be accountable, be quick to repent, pray without ceasing, invest your lives with others, be part of the church, do whatever it takes for you to avoid sin and be killing it. Let me conclude with a quotation from uh, J.I. Packer's helpful book, Knowing God. Uh, on his chapter on sons of God. If you have that book, I would recommend that you would read, that you read that book. It will be helpful. He said, do I as a Christian understand myself? Do I know my own real identity? My own real destiny? I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My Savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too and my sister. Say it over and over to yourself first thing in the morning, last thing at night as you wait for the bus, anytime when, when your mind is free and ask that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it is 
utterly and completely through. For this is the Christian secret of a happy life? Yes, certainly, but we have something both higher and profounder to say. This is the Christian secret of a Christian life and of a God-honoring life, and these are the aspects of the situation that really matter. May this secret become fully yours and fully mine. Beloved, we are God's children because God has loved us. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for your love for us that we are called your children. We pray that we would always be reminded of who we are in you and that you would enable us to live according to that. May our lives be pleasing to you and may we increase in grace and knowledge of you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.